0: Hallelujah. We've got a great, great surprise for you. And uh, some friends from way back when we started the church, in fact, the first time that they came and ministered, we were back here in the children's uh, building. And uh, so that's a long time ago. So I'm grateful to have them here. Uh, Pastor Ken and Eve Spicer are with us. Originally from California, now they've moved over to the foreign nation of Arkansas. So they got their passports already, and they came over to Beulah Land, which is Oklahoma. Amen? And we're glad to have them here with us. So we want to give them all the opportunity they need to bring forth what God has brought with them. Amen? So let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Ken Spicer as he comes.
1: Good morning. I was educated in tulsa Jerusalem, at Rama, and ORU, um, actually finishing a little master's degree at ORU right now in organizational leadership. Um, God is good. It's good to see everybody today. This is my lovely wife, Eve, and she is the mother of our three children and the grandmother of our nine grandchildren. And uh, she has taught me a lot about the love of God, I can say, because I didn't always look like this, and she loves me unconditional, unconditionally still, and that's pretty impressive if you think about it. So when you start thinking about God's unconditional love for us, it's, uh, it's very much the same. So anyway, it's good to be here again. It's been, well, I was trying to figure it out, it's probably been since 2013, but the last time I was here, Pastor Greg wore his pants like Trevor. So it's been a while. It has been a while. I still think he could pull it off, but. <laughs> it is a joy to be here with you all today. And um, yeah, we. Um, well, I was raised on the mission field. Uh, I was raised in Mississippi, so going back to Arkansas isn't that big of a deal. Um, we planted a church there this last year, the fourth one that we planted. Um, and. both of our sons are pastoring in that church. Our youngest son is the senior pastor, and um, I was going to say I was the pastor emeritus, but that's kind of a a retired position, and I'm not retired, so I had to change it to just the boss pastor. You know, that's kind of what I call myself, but uh, our oldest son is the worship leader. He did four years in the Marines, and uh, we're really proud of them, and uh, like I said, we've got all those grandkids. Only one granddaughter, though, and the, one of the best things about my granddaughter is she really thinks her papa is something special, so she's four years old, and uh sometimes i'll just I'll just be heading out the door and he, you know eight o'clock at night and says, "Where where are you going baby? I'm going to go see holly for a bit i'll be She lives four miles from us, so you know, it's good. God is good. Well, today, I just thank Pastor Greg and Karen for for having us out, and it's just it was always a great time for us to be here with this church and um, you know th- there's a lot of talk today in the Christian world, uh, you know, uh, things like uh, you know, live your best life now and And I don't think God has a problem with you living your best life. I think he's a good God. I think he 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 likes that but but what if we said it different? What if we said? Instead of living your best life, because there's a limitation on that, how about live his best life? What, a, what if that was a thing in our mind? Think of John fourteen twelve, Jesus speaking. He said, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. Now, this is, of course, before he was resurrected, but I certainly don't think there was any diminishing of things after he was resurrected, do you? I mean, he told people that weren't even born again in Matthew 10, 8, go and raise the dead and cleanse the leper and cast out demons and, you know, heal the sick. And that was before. They weren't even born again. They were just operating under his word. He said, go do it, and they did it. I don't think there's been a diminishing of that. I don't think that his will for people has changed. I don't think his idea of what ministry looks like has changed. So what if we just decided to do that? And instead of saying, I'm going to live my best life now, thinking I'm going to live Jesus's best life now because he's alive in me. Man, it sounds odd when you say it out loud, but it really is what the Bible teaches. It's exciting, huh? I think think this life is supposed to be. In John 16, 24, you know, because I don't know about Oklahoma. I was in California for a long time, and, and there's a lot of, you know, cranky Christians out there. I mean, more than you might think. And in John 16, 24, Jesus said, until now you've asked nothing in my name, but ask and you'll receive, you know, that your joy may be full. And I think the problem, and you know, of course, I've... I figured it all out. You know, <laughs> you know how we do. I, I think I figured it out. That a lot of Christians, and I've, I'm there sometimes too, are praying prayers that he's already answered. So they never have the benefit of seeing those things or realizing those things are answered, so they have no joy. They keep saying things like, Lord, deliver me. Lord, heal me. Done. <laughs> what did I think of that? He says, you know, it's done. Powerful stuff. How about Peter's shadow? I mean, he's just like going for a walk one day and his shadow's falling on people and people are getting healed. And the best thing about that that I like is that he doesn't even try to explain it. He just orders his latte. Hey man, there's people getting healed out there because your shadow. Hang on a second. Cause if I don't, get this exactly right, they're going to mess up my coffee. You know, half sweet, double hot, no cup, go. You know? He's not even thinking about it. You know why? Because I think Peter expected crazy stuff to happen when he got up in the morning. I mean, had that been me, I'd be trying to write a book about how the, the shadow anointing is a thing. And if you buy my book for thirty nine ninety five and have me on your talk show, I can tell you how to get that anointing. And, you know, you put your right foot in and you take your right foot out and you put your right foot in, shake it all about. We'll do the Christian hokey pokey and hold your mouth just right. And voila, you can do what I can do. Because we keep trying to mimic stuff instead of just being who we are. Powerful stuff. Peter's shadow, it's not really that strange if you think about it. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14 says that, that he, leads, he always leads us to triumph in Christ, and he diffuses through us the knowledge of his presence. I mean, think about, think about being a diffuser. I got a lot of grandkids, and they diffuse some stuff that's not so much nice all the time. And that's where I draw the line. When we had our kids, I hey, I was in it. I changed diapers. I do whatever. Nowadays, I change no diapers. No, sir. I, I graduated from that role. It's like, here, take your kid, change the diaper. <laughs> if we're babysitting, babe, I love you, change this diaper, or the kid's got to go outside with the cows. <laughs> I mean, uh, something's got to give here. But, you know, we, we're into essential oils a little bit, you know, and literally, my wife has a diffuser in every room. We have a couple of rooms for guests, you know, uh, because our kids don't live with us anymore. And each one of those rooms has a diffuser and a coffee cup or a coffee pot, but a diffuser. Think if we just recognize that everywhere we go, the atmosphere changes. The atmosphere changes because you walked in. Yeah, but I just don't feel, you know, like that. Well, stop feeling. I mean, I'm from California. There's a lot of feelings going on out there. And every time I start talking about feelings, everybody got quiet. It's like, listen, our spirit is supposed to inform our feelings. Feelings are good. God created you with feelings. But those feelings can run you off the cliff. Those feelings need to be led by your spirit. And that's the, that's the order. You know, that's one thing I don't like about the strength finder stuff because people identify kind of how they are. And, you know, we all love the fours on the Enneagram. You know what I mean? You can find them on Facebook. It's pretty easy. But people, are, people tend to say, well, you know, that's just how I am. Mm-mm. Nope. I mean, I get it. You have certain proclivities and things, but, but that, that, that's not where you stop. It's like there's a lot of unhealthy things that crash in on us that we just think, well, that's just how God made me. Well, God made you again <laughs> to lead those things so that, you're, that you can be healthy in those things. And I, I get it. People go through stuff, and, you know, nobody's perfect. But there's hope that you don't have to, you know, because the, the tail will wag the dog in, in those certain situations. So I, I don't know if you're much of a reader. I like to read. I picked up a little book on Amazon not, not too long ago, just this no-name author, <laughs> who's pretty fancy now because he's written a couple of books, and, and one of them, I have the other one, but it's, you know, I, like I said, I was raised in Mississippi. It's a little big for me, you know. I'll get to it, though. But there's some things in this book that I'm going to hit on in just a minute, and I just want to share them with you. So this is, I don't know if this is a paraphrase of 1 John four seventeen or if it's what it is, but it's, a, it's at least connected to 1 John 4, 4 17. And it says this, notice that we are now the sons of God, not in the sweet by and by, but now. By virtue of the new birth, we are active citizens of the kingdom of God with the ability to operate in full citizenship right here and right now. Our birth into the kingdom unites us as one with Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. It's just straight word. That's what I've always loved about this church. Your pastor teaches the word. Um, Here's another one. In order to take on your true identity, you have to disregard the old one. This is the part that proves to be troublesome in our quest for true identity. Do you know there's a lot of There's a lot of verses in the Bible, and in the New Testament in particular, there's not one verse that talks about your old nature being resurrected. Writing books about the old nature is a billion-dollar industry. We're fixated on, you know, the old man, the flesh. I understand that wrong thinking presents like it's your flesh. But there was only one resurrection, and it wasn't your flesh. But I do the things that I used to do. That's right. When we do the things we used to do, it's not that our old man is resurrected. It's our new man has forgotten who he is. That new man has to be matured through continual focus. We talked last, last service. There's a few gym rats in here. They came early so they could get to the gym. I don't think that's legalistic. I mean, you don't get a physique like this going to the gym every day, I can tell you. (laughs) However, nobody thinks, oh, dude, you're very, like, religious. No, it's like, awesome, go for it. But if you said, hey, why don't you spend two hours every single day praying in the Holy Ghost? Oh, well, you know, brother, you're kind of really (laughs) on the lake church. I mean, what might happen? What might your life look like? I don't know. I'll stop, I'll stop messing. Here's the last one for this. We have so many self-identifiers from our time on the earth that to discard them seems sacrilegious. You start talking about stuff like the old man already being dead, and you're going to r- rustle up some things. <laughs> People don't always accept that kind of truth just right away so I'm going to be easy today, okay? But we are to regard no one, even ourselves, after the flesh. Man, that's strong. Because we put on Christ as our identity. As we get started, we, we um, started a little ministry called Revere Network Online, and that's primarily what we are doing. We relocated our staff to Arkansas. And um, so my team does this full time basically. And then I, I teach uh, regularly in the church and then I do some of this kind of stuff. But I think we have a just a short clip uh, just because I forgot to do this earlier. So let's just show this real quick and then we're going to get into the message today. So that's that. That's that's what Revere Network is, in case you were wondering what I actually do for a living. Which is not that, because it doesn't make any money. But <laughs> at any rate, <laughs> let's, let's move into this message today that I'm calling The Life I Now Live, okay? And uh, there's a quote that's attributed to Henry David Thoreau, and some people say he didn't actually, he's not the one that said it, but it's sort of understood that he did, so we'll, we'll give him credit. And it goes like this. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and die with the song still in them. And I don't believe any Christian that's ever been alive should ever live in regret. Because God can make all things new. He can restore all things. And if you're breathing air, there's opportunity for you to share his goodness with other people. Oz Guinness, the philosopher, pastor, author, writes in his book, Long Journey Home, he says, it's often said that there are three requirements for for a fulfilling life. The first two, a clear sense of personal identity and a strong sense of personal mission, are rooted in the third, which is a deep sense of life's meaning. In our time especially, many people are spurred to search for that meaning because they're haunted by having too much to live with and too little to live for. It's kind of interesting to think that that's sort of where we find our world today. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, if you will. Galatians 2, verse 20. And um, you probably know this, but it's, it's, it's all, always great to read it out of, the, out of the word. So it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's one thing to say Jesus died for me. We get that. Jesus died for my sins. We get that. You could even say Jesus died for the sins of the world. And according to John 3, 16, you'd be correct. But to say Jesus died as me, to say, I died with him. That's different. It hits us different. It's true. It's just as true. But we don't tend to think of it that way. We think of it in a more separated context, typically. And this, this revelation here, that you are already dead in Christ. Done. It really does change everything when, when you're... You, wrap your mind around that. It let, for instance, this idea of taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's, it's scriptural. It's something that we all are committed to do. But typically, the way that verse is used is somebody's going through a rough patch, and the admonition is, well, brother, you just take up your cross. Or, you know, well, I'm just going to take up. This is my cross to bear. I'm going to take up my cross and follow Jesus as if God did his cross, and now he expects you to do your cross. Well, if you read Galatians 2.20, your cross is his cross, and his cross is your cross. And the way you take up your cross is to take up his cross. So every day, you spend a few minutes reminding self of who you are in him and realize that yes life is going to be hard and no life isn't what it's supposed to be it just is what it is sometimes but that doesn't mean God's taking great pleasure in seeing you suffer and saying well you know buddy you just need to take up your cross and stop belly aching I got a lot of kids around me a lot of times there's a lot of belly aching going on and I still love them And sometimes it's like, give the kid a cookie and let's get this over with. Sometimes I feel like God's like, oh, all right already. Just shut that one up over there. The belly aching. See, we tend to think that God gets so offended with us that somehow he could get loose from us, particularly, you know, you late bunch. Some of you might have been doing some stuff last night you better make sure, better make sure that you didn't go too far. Make your daddy decide he doesn't love you anymore. I know he promised never to leave you nor forsake you. But come on, you know what you did last night? I Preaching real good second service. Real good second service. You see how we religiousize? I know that's not a word, but I, I like it. We religiousize stuff. He's not ever gonna leave you. You're not gonna have as much fun if you're living like that. We're one verse in. We better hurry. I'll be on time, I promise. Let's go over to Galatians chapter two. No, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter two. Colossians two, again, verse 20. We'll do 21 this time. 20 and 21. 21. It says this, therefore, if you died, and we already read that we did, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Verse 21 do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. We live in a world right now, and we just came through a pandemic, of course, you're not supposed to touch anything. It just, it just made everybody feel weird, didn't it? It's like you get to the gas pump, and now, now I get it, but then gas wasn't so high, and you're like, should I touch it? You know, should I put, put a bag over my hand? I mean, should I breathe out here? It's just weird how you start thinking. Forgetting all the time that Jesus reached out and touched a leper, not only was it against the health mandates, it was against the law. And it was a highly communicative disease and he snatched the leprosy right out of that person. And it just, you know, it's a little mind numbing. But I guess my point is this is that you're never going to be able to sanitize your life to the point that you're going to be safe. Everything in this atmosphere in this room could probably kill you. You know, it's just nonsense to think that oh, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle and I'm not saying that you should eat gluten, okay? So don't write me emails Eve's dad, this isn't the funny part, but Eve's dad passed away in September and he was a big part of our life and ministry and was our, he was on staff with us since we started our church. And then he was helping the boys build the church in Arkansas uh, and all that. But he was such a, like a saver, you know, and grew up on a farm in the Midwest and he was all about making sense. And so every night he, for the, like the last year of his life, he ate two whoppers, because he, they were five bucks for two Whoppers, you know? And that's what he ate every day. So when he died and they cremated him, I told Eve, we should bury him in a Whopper bag. <laughs> do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. Think about this just for a moment. and I'll move on from this point. In Numbers 21, the Israelites are in the wilderness and you know, They irritate God one more time. He releases these serpents amongst them. They're dying from the snake bites. And so, you know, he goes through the typology of Christ, put the serpent on the pole, if anybody looks up. And think about that, because I don't like snakes. And I would be dead because I'd be looking down, trying not to step on a snake. So that must have been very hard. But my point is, those snakes were already there. It wasn't like God said, okay, I'm about to release some snakes, but I got to go over here and make a new batch they were there. They were just protected. And then their protection left. Aren't you glad you're in the new covenant? Because their protection was based on them not griping and complaining. If that were still the case, you know, a lot of us wouldn't be here today. Let's just be honest. So we have to know that in this relationship with Christ, there's this level of protection and guarding that he has made available to us. And again, it sounds odd especially after coming through what we just did as a country, but I believe truly that uh, so much of this goes back to renewing our mind, to being transformed versus being conformed to what the world wants to make us. So let's let's shift gears. Let's go to Romans 6 now. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 and we'll start in verse 10. Okay. Verse 10 says this. For the death that he died, he died once for all. Say this with me. Say once for all. You find that phrase two or three times in the book of Hebrews as well. Um, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So if he died once for all, then that means he died for you and for you and for you and for me one time. Done so that means once you receive Christ, now I'm just making this linear assumption here, then that means that you are forgiven past, present and future. and I keep I hate to keep making this simple analogy and some people might think it's oversimplifying, but I'm not sure. Because Jesus told, I think it was Philip, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." It seems to me that every name we know, and of course, I'm sure your pastor has taught on those the names of God. Every single moniker for God, by the time Jesus Jesus showed up, was already known, except one: Daddy. He could have said, "You know, I'm here to make Jehovah Jireh known." I'm here to make Jehovah Rapha known. I'm here to, you know, and he he did all those things, of course, but he always made the point that he was here to reveal the Father because that's the one nobody knew. My babies and my grandbabies, forgiven forever. Now, if you mess up my tractor... I'll have to work on that one, but forever. But we don't see God like that. We see ourselves better than God because we love our children unconditionally, but we think he will cut us loose if we have a bad Saturday night. I'm not trying to meddle. I'm just trying to get you to think. I'm not trying to turn anybody off. I'm just trying to start a conversation and start a, a thought process that says, wow, maybe it is simpler than I thought it was. Maybe he is better than I thought he was. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. The word abundant means in the Greek, superior in quality and excessive in quantity. So technically, God is too good and too much. Imagine. Imagine people saying, you know, if you don't get yourself ready, God's never going to do with you what he needs to because you got to get prepared. Tell that to the guy whose boat was sinking and his nets were breaking. He must have not gotten the memo, but God's not going to bless you till you get yourself together. Who's ever been together enough for that? Nobody. You're not that good. (laughs) Thank God he loves us the way we are. Okay, so we see this. Uh, We reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, so what's it there for? What was just said. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Now, by this time in the message last service, I had said, and I hadn't said it yet, but that the gospel is not about behavior modification. It's not about everybody learning how to do the right thing. It's about everybody learning who they are. It's about embracing that identity that that Pastor Greg wrote about in his book. That's a monumental thing, and it's the key to everything. So, now, if if the Bible, if the gospel is not about behavior modification, why then is he saying, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body? That, it should, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, un, of, of righteousness. Why is he giving those commands then if this is not about me following orders and doing the right thing? Well, in Paul's writing in particular, you see a, 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 a linguistic process that he uses using the the English, uh, uh, there's a word, it's like tools, Uh, imperatives and indicatives. So an indicative is a statement of fact, okay? It's indicating a truth. Imperative is a command or a directive, and the Bible's full of imperatives. Paul, don't do this, don't do that, do this. But you never read where Paul is giving an imperative without first giving a heavenly indicative to empower the imperative. God's never asking you to do anything that you can't do. He's never requiring us to do anything that he's not providing the power to do. So he's saying this. He goes, look it, because you're dead indeed to sin and because these things are true, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It's like you saying to your kid, Why are you in the mud hole? We're on the way to church and you just had a bath. What God is saying is, you have the ability to make decisions because you've been empowered by heaven in a new creation. So, why would you let sin reign in your mortal body? Why would you let the devil victimize you because you're dead to that stuff? Amen. And then we get another indicative from heaven. So, this whole run here is bracketed in verse 10 and then again in verse 14 with these empowering statements of truth that then predicate the expectation of what we're supposed to do. Verse 14 says this For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Notice how sin has dominion when you're under law. Come on, somebody. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that if you're not being accused of being lawless or an antinomian, which is somebody that disregards the law altogether, you're probably not preaching the gospel properly, and you might not believe it properly. You know Jesus or Paul was never accused of legalism, but both were accused of lawlessness. Right? People are sinning without a license, Tulsa, Jerusalem, and it's not my fault, or Pastor Greg's, or yours. Oh, Pastor Ken, you're giving people a license to sin. No, I'm not. I'm telling you you're free from sin, and I'm telling you if you have some crazy foray into a sinful act, it doesn't make you a sinner. Oh, brother, that sounds weird to me. Well, I, I understand it sounds weird, but the bottom line is you're a new creation in Christ. Not until you do something stupid. You're just a new creation in Christ. And the more your mind is renewed to the reality of who you are, the less you have forays into what you used to do because your mind is focused on why would I do that? I told a story last service about just when I, when I got back from Somalia, I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit while we were there and, and you know just on fire. You know, And some of you know what that's like. And... And my wife had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit after I got back. She thought I was crazy. And then I just kept showing, you know. Like a lot of Christians, we believed the Bible. We had no idea what it said. <laughs> yeah, right. So when we read it, we're like, wow. You know, I had a couple of my young Marines, and one of them I'm still in touch with today. And, and he, they, they're like, one day, I was reading the Bible. It's like God knows where you're at, right? So I get to Somalia. We'd been married a month. We had just started going to church. Not a spirit-filled church, you know, because we didn't know any different. And uh, I'm thinking, well, I might live through this. I got a a wife and baby at home. Let me start reading my Bible. So I had this little Gideon Bible, started reading it. About two weeks later, these two Marines that worked for me, they're like, hey, Sergeant, you ever been baptized in the Holy Ghost? I'm like, dude, I'm Baptist. I've been baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, that's not what we mean. (laughs) They're like, you know, I'm not like praying in tongues and stuff. And I'm like, man, my grandpa was a, a what do they call him? <laughs> Not a deacon, but a, maybe it's a deacon. My grandpa was a deacon in the Baptist church, and he told me that was from the devil. they was like, well, it's right here, man, in the Bible. And I knew the Bible was the word of God. I, we, would go, we would go fist over that, but I didn't know what it said. So I was like, are you serious? And they go, yeah. So I started reading the book of Acts. I must have read it every day. Five times people just like us are born again, classically, biblically, then something happens. Sometimes it's a moment, sometimes it's days or weeks. And then after like, and then I'm mad at God. I'm like, Lord, finally I'm reading the Bible. And then I feel like I get invited to dinner and then they're trying to sell me something. Like now I find out there's something else. I don't have everything. Man, and you know, he was just so gracious to work me through that. Just every little obstacle, he just bumped me over. So finally, I just went to those guys. I said, man, I I see it in the word. I want everything God has for me. So they prayed for me, and then I got home, explained it to my wife, and she thought I was crazy. Uh, And then a couple months later, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I guess my point is, is that then begins to just change the way you think about things, and you realize that your life is empowered in a way that you never knew it could be. And then you're like, well, why would I give the devil authority over my life? You know, it's not about being good. It's about man. This is I enjoy this life, um, and I think that that's that's important. So let's just talk in closing here: three aspects of three aspects of a life that we can now live. And I think these are, these are important. So the first thing that we can do now and that we should do and we've been free to do is to live like a dead man. Live like a dead man. You know, when you got nothing to lose, you got nothing to lose. You can't be intimidated. It's like, what if you die? Well, it's like we said in the first service, it'd be like somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, I hate to do this to you. I know this is... This is awful, but we're going to have to send you to Maui for, like, ever. All expenses. I mean, and that's not even heaven. And we'd be like, oh, well, I think I could, I could figure that out. <laughs> you know? We're talking about what we really believe here, right? And so, you know, what, what interests me is the Pharisees, after Lazarus was resurrected, plotted to kill him. You could read it. They were mad. They wanted to kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill that. They says the, the Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus. He's like, bro, I already been there. Kill me. Kill me, dude. I'm ready. Like I already know what's over there. I was angry. I had to come back in the first place. And so I think this idea that when you're like that, there's this realization that you're on mission. When you truly embrace what your destiny is, then there's this mission that comes forth in a very powerful and authoritative way you know, we were on a a mission trip to Burundi a few years ago. My son-in-law was with me, and he was probably 27 maybe at the time, and we had just a whole group of 18-year-olds, and half of them were girls, more than half. And, uh, you know, so we were bouncing around East Africa, and we get to this little village, and we're going to go out. We had planted a church out in the bush through this organization over there. And I had just remembered, I I remembered it after the fact, but before I left America, I'd heard that that particular year, I think it was 2014, and this would have been sometime in the fall, that there was some kind of Christian holy day that was going to correspond with a Muslim holy day. And I don't know what those days were. I don't think it was Ramadan, but it was some, some high observance for both. And I just kind of, you know, just let it go. I didn't think much of it. So we get into this village, and they load us all up in this, in this van. And the van, they had come from Uganda in the van, and it was all of our friends that we knew. And they're all African. And the van had Jesus loves you in every conceivable African dialect, right? And so we get down in this little village, and there's like this little traffic jam, and there's hundreds of people walking. And I'm thinking, "What are we doing? And nobody knew, and there was a lead car, and even the African folks were just confused about what we're doing, and it seemed like we were turned around and lost or whatever. And then I realized all these people are really dressed up nicely. And then I realize they're all Muslim. And then I remember, we're in a van that says, "Jesus love you, loves you in every African dialect known to mankind." And this was literally just weeks or months after Benghazi, And I'm a marine. So I'm going into hyper, like, fight or flight, but I got a bunch of 18-year-old girls, so I know I can't flight. <laughs> so I look at my son and I'm like, you know, and he, he was a gangbanger in East LA when he was a kid, you know, and I'm like, well, we can't run. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not good. So I start trying to explain to the African friend of mine, this is not good, man. It's a bunch of white people in this van and we're in the midst of a bunch of Muslims. All it would take is one crazy person to set them all off. So then they start getting a little nervous and they pull over and they have a little powwow and, and, and I'm just like, let's pray. So, I mean, it was like 25 people, boom, praying in tongues for, you know, it sounded like a bunch of people typing on typewriters. And then they get us turned around and they get us out of there and it was like, whew. And then we go right past our hotel. I was like, you could have. I said, what were we doing anyway? Oh, we're trying to find water for you guys because you can't drink out of the, you know, the ditch or whatever. I'm like, dude, you could have done that before. So then I spent an hour explaining to them what being an American abroad was right after Benghazi. But I guess my point is when you're ready to die, if need be, and you realize that you're doing something kingdom oriented there's a sense in that, that God's, you know, that God's with you and that there's some authority there that you have, you know, and, and it does happen, of course. I mean, we lost three of those uh, African uh, folks who well, actually, one of them was a pastor in Seattle in a car accident, you know, a year or two after that. It was just crazy. But so anyway, I guess what I'm saying is to have this idea that you're not even a citizen here anyway, that God has made a place for you and that you live like a dead man. We find it in Romans 6. You're already there. Let's go to Romans 6, verse 4. We'll take 4 and 5 and then bump down to verse 7 and 8. It says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We should, meaning you have the power to do this. We, we should just do this because this, this is where it comes from. Okay, Verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, free from sin. So this is a, I realize this is a spiritual reality that you've been freed from sin. So sin no longer has a hold over you. And again, you've been forgiven ahead of time. And people say, well, that, does that make people wanna go live in sin? Only the dumb ones. You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes we take on the role and we think, well, we're supposed to keep people in line because that's what they should do. I'm going to say something because it's second service, but I don't want you to get mad at me. But if you're free, then not only are you free to do the right thing, but you're free to do the wrong thing. Well, what keeps me from doing the wrong thing? Renewing your mind to your identity. If it's not free, it's not really love. You understand that? I've heard people say, well, you're free, but you're only free to do the right thing. Nope. My kids disprove that theory on the daily. And they're adults. (laughs) Jesus wasn't resurrected to make bad people good. And Jesus wasn't resurrected to make good people better. If you're focused on getting better, you're probably getting worse. Jesus was resurrected to make dead people live. Simple as that. Number two, to love like a dead man. To love like a dead man. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you probably know this uh, quite well, but he's sort of listing some things about himself, not in a prideful way, I think, in, in more of a, hey, listen, man, I'm, you're preaching to the choir sort of way. So let's go to verse uh, number 22, and we'll just take 22 through 28 here. He says this, and he's talking about, you know, these pharisaical type people. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. If you've seen the the Passion of the, the Christ, that's what 40 stripes minus one, one time looks like. He got that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You remember that time in the book of Acts, he was in a town called Lystra, and he had come down through Iconium, and then Lystra, and then they stoned him to death. I think. I mean he was down and the disciples gathered around. God raised him up. He he convalesced that night in, in Lystra. Then he went to Derby, preached for a few days, and came back to Lystra. I'd be like, those folks can go to hell. I am not going back to Lystra. They can live stream. I ain't going over there. No, sir. Not gonna happen. But he did. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day in the deep. We only read about one time, and that was during a hurricane. And then he had to tell everybody, hey, as long as you stay in the boat, you're going to live. <laughs> and then they ended up, you know, riding in the pieces of the boat when it broke up. I don't care for sharks either. That would be hard for me, you know. Like you're going on a cruise finally. You've saved up. And then you see Paul and his bunch getting on the boat. You're like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. We'll go, to, we'll go to Keystone Lake and chill. <laughs> I ain't getting on that boat. (laughs) Um, In journeys often, in perils of water and robbers and my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles and city and the wilderness and the sea, perils of false brethren and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides all the other things that come upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Even in the midst of all that, he's loving like a dead man. He's he's still considering all these people that make up the churches, the false brethren, and all of this nonsense, and his heart is broken for them. Man, that's powerful. It's not an obligation, it's a conviction. It's not, well, I got to do this. No, it's a, I get to do this because I'm. I have a conviction about it. It means something to me. And number three, and lastly, to lead like a dead man. To lead like a dead man. Um, You know, I think of David and Goliath, and that's an easy one. He's sort of a prototype. But when he faced, you know, we're talking about renewing the mind. When he faced Goliath, all the soldiers, all the professionals, even the king, everybody that had the wherewithal and should have been able to go down and fight this person... All they could think of was Goliath. All David could think of was God. That's all he could think of. It's like, how faithful God has been to me. He could have been thinking, dude, I just got anointed king one chapter ago. I haven't even really gotten to enjoy that yet. And now I've got to go down and fight this clown? I mean, you've got the sword and the spear. You've got the armor. What are we doing here? Get down there. He didn't feel sorry for himself at all. He said, I'll do it. Everybody that knew how to do it was hiding. We see that today. I think that's a a great analogy. All the people that are supposed to know how to do stuff, they're hiding. They're posturing. They're protecting. The people that don't have a clue except God is good, they're heading off. To stand between the living and the dead. And where they stand, the plague will stop. Acts chapter 21. We're almost done here. Acts 21. And uh, this is when, when Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. And there, as you know, he'll be arrested and then he'll be sent to Rome and eventually killed. And then we'll pick it up in verse number 8 and Luke talks about their time spent there in Caesarea. It says on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied and uh, as we stayed many days and we stayed many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, "Thus saith the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Most people would say, hey, I got a word, and that word was don't go up there. So, you know, I'm not going to go up there. He didn't take it that way. See, it's vitally important as you're, you know, leading like a dead person to know what God's saying to you. Because there will always be people synthesizing the word God is speaking to you in their own context. And they will share with you what, they, what it means for you from their opinion. And some of those people you're going to respect Greatly. But you have to know his voice, and you have to understand what your mission is. And when you know that, some people will not like your decision because it's not their decision. It's yours, and you have to commit to that. You have to know that's what you're doing. So let's finish with this. I'm just going to, you don't have to turn there, but in Colossians 3.3, 3, it says, For you died, and your life is hidden with God in Christ, past tense, you died And then Colossians 2.13, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, past tense, all trespasses. This is the fuel of a life for God, realizing what he's accomplished. He's calling us to the fore because we know who we are in Christ. Amen? So again, like the video said earlier, Grace is not cheapened law. It's not a reduction of God's expectations and requirements. It's a recognition that Jesus fulfilled those requirements and those, you know, because we couldn't. He did it on our behalf, and we received that by faith. And if you need to to be born again today, all you have to do is believe that. I mean, Jesus said it in John 3:16. Uh You know, people say, well, you don't believe in in repentance. I most certainly do. This whole message has been about repentance, changing what you think. If you need to be born again, Jesus said you have to believe. He said it multiple times to the Pharisees. You're going to die in your sin if you don't believe. I'm the one the Father sent. When Paul the apostle, who knew a thing or two about the gospel, when he was asked, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16, 31, like a shot, he said, to believe on the Lord Jesus, and you and your house shall be saved. Well, what do you mean? Does that mean my kids don't have to make their own decision? They most certainly do. But he's promising you in covenant that he's going to give them some opportunities. And you stand on that word and you declare it over your family and your children. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you for meeting us here today. Lord, we ask that if anybody in this place have a need of salvation, that, Father, you reveal yourself to them in a powerful way, that you love them and you have given yourself for them. And, Father, we thank you if anybody needs healing that you are the healer, Lord God, that you said even even in the beginning of of the gospel that we could heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and cleanse lepers. So we thank you for the promise of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And, Lord, uh, anybody that has need in any of those regards today, thank you that we can receive that by faith. And, Lord, we thank you for the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen.